Hi and welcome to today's podcast. Today I'm joined by the usual suspects. I'm joined here by Pat, Damien, Josh and Alan. And in today's podcast, we will discuss hopes and dreams. Alan, if I can go to you to start off, uh, hopes and dreams, it's such a broad statement. I mean, you can reach for the stars here, but you know, let, if we can bring it down to a very practical level, what would you like to see after the coronavirus is a thing of the past, you know, regardless of how long it may take? And by that, I mean, what would you like to see society be like? What would your own life like to be like? What are your hopes and dreams post-COVID? Thanks, Dono, and uh, thanks for the introduction. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure there. So, um, look, I don't know. I haven't even. I haven't really thought too too much of that. But I will say, there's a quote I want to I want to uh, um, introduce to us today, and it's uh, it says, "The arc of history bends towards justice." And it was by a guy called Theodore Parker, and uh, and I just had suggested that a while back as a possible theme for this, more in the sense that like, what would we, what sort of society would we like after this? You know, I'm thinking. Well, I suppose you're thinking everything. I mean, we're talking about health service. You're talking about government. You're talking about how we are together. Um, and for me, I, I just think like when he, in my walk just before this, I, I was thinking, oh, can I remember another big, the last big shift in society might have been the last, the Second World War, I think. And uh, after that, uh, you had the uh, the Marshall Plan, particularly for Europe. After what the um, Allies had learned, or the Americans had learned in particular from the First World War that you can't leave a country unchanged and punish them. So they invested a lot in structures and uh, democratic structures for most of the continent, particularly for Germany, and then also for um, the investment, huge investment of money. And uh, on a day today when we had the European Union uh, talking about um, corona bonds, as they're called, an extra 500 billion um, investment in Europe, that maybe there's some similarities. They're like, what are we going to do with that? What sort of, is it just to bail out banks again? Or is it to create a new society? Or is it to create um, a bit of compassion between countries, solidarity between countries? So I suppose I haven't kind of got down to detail, but in my mind, I'm thinking if that's used properly and if we, for example, as a country, you know, decide that we want a really, really good first tier health system, this is the time to bite the bullet. Do we want to make real, real changes around uh, climate? This is the time to bite the bullet, maybe. Arguably as well, or it's difficult at a time when there's less money, probably will all be in recession at the end of this and probably recession for a number of years, perhaps. So how we're going to pay for this stuff, I don't know. But the dream would be a society that has is more caring, more compassionate, more democratic. I'm asking for the world, but if you're asking me the dream, that's what I'd be thinking. It's interesting because I've seen the conversation coming from the UK recently, especially after the rich list was revealed, where the Dyson family is on top of 16.2 billion uh, UK pounds. And they're talking about all of the people in that list they are a lot of companies that have been affected by COVID-19 or a lot of their businesses have been affected because as you can imagine, they don't own a vast number of them and how that isn't this time just another bailout for those type of people. Like you talk about solidarity, we talk about a different approach to this crisis compared to the 2008 financial crisis where it was all about austerity, austerity, austerity. Now it's about maintaining that level of good growth by just filling in the gaps that are here at the moment. Hopefully it's a short-term issue and then the economy might jump again, you know, it might bounce back quickly. 
um, as opposed to 2008, where it was kind of a long haul, took nearly a decade, especially for Ireland, to kind of get to a sustainable level of growth. The issue was that, you know, they didn't put their hands in their own pockets. You know, you've got families worth 16 billion, and what they've done was they furloughed a couple of hundred people, sent them off home, told the government to cover the, the cost of most of that, uh, 75%, 80%, whatever it may have been at the time, and they didn't find that solidarity commitment. You would think during this crisis and going forward after this that like you just said we would find a type of movement within ourselves in society where we would say there has to be a change we can't afford to borrow billions of euros to sustain the levels of commitment we have in the hse at the moment you know while also trying to maintain the lives of those who are now going to be the new unemployed and which is going to be another huge number a couple more billion a year at least like my question that would be who has to offer solidarity? You know, it's one thing to say governments are doing it, other governments around Europe are doing it, but at the same time, it just seems like a huge portion of society, especially on the wealthy side, are probably not part of that. And, you know, you can't sustain solidarity unless it's you know, a real community action, I don't think. I think, unfortunately, if you look at Ireland at the moment, um, you've got two new parties coming in, but three, three parties coming in, just sort of centre-right. Well, I mean, the Greens are probably centre-left, actually, but the others are centre-right. To hope that they're going to change the way they acted the last time is a big hope. But you would have to hope at the same time that they have learned from the last time that the austerity was a complete loss to, this, to Irish society. It set a whole generation of people back into unemployment, into poverty. And some of that was over hands, I know, but essentially that was the policies they pursued. And uh, that was the policies of the IMF and the World Bank and everybody had pursued at the time. I would hope that now we're not going to do that again on the basis that you're going to keep people as best you can in work and keep people trained and keep businesses in, 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 in you know, an operation. But I, I think there's a different approach will, will be a big difference. But look, with the two parties, with the parties that are possibly going to be in government or more likely at the moment, I don't know if that's going to change. You would hope that maybe there's been a big learning and that they will take on that learning and they will shift more to sort of left-ish politics. But, you know, given given where they've come from, it's hard to know if that'll happen. You know, speaking for Ireland only. Yeah, just, yep. to re- just to kind of expand that, we are talking about Ireland in terms of the Fine Gael government. That has, well, Fine Gael have been in government since 2011. And the other party is Fianna Fáil, who might create a grand coalition with the Greens and Fianna Fáil with a party who were in power leading up to the financial crisis who the reason we went into austerity was because you know the whole thing about Fianna Fáil was they spent too much in the grand times and then Fine Gael had to kind of teach us how to cut back drastically in the aftermath of all of that and now we are where we are after they've realized that austerity really doesn't work you just can't run a society on a string line of HSE funding and, and other community-based funding you know around the country I do think there's going to be a societal push towards more, you know, like you said, the, the Marshall Plan in Europe, which created the welfare state around Europe as well, uh, which is the grand plan to rebuild Europe post-war, uh, post-World War II, was a great success. And, I mean, this could be the time again where we do it. I mean, we don't need physical buildings. What we need is the fundamentals of society to shift now. But we also need the funding for that, where mental health is actually funded. Um, and the same with other issues, social welfare, unemployment, re-education, upskilling, whatever you want to call it as in terms of a government plan. I do think there's going to be a huge shift in that direction. And I hope there is. I think it's for the best. Like I think a lot of people have adapted to this type of new idea of life after COVID. There is, there is, um, I heard today that um, there is actually the Greens are pushing for a whole wellness budget. So, I mean, I think if that's the case, and in other words, that they're going to, you know, they're going to have something put in towards that. What that's going to look like, I don't know. But recognizing that there's massive mental health issues now that we're going to face, 
and, and on the basis that COVID is going to, that society and COVID is not going to go away, or COVID is not going to go away for another year or two. Um, so it's going to impact society. And I think um, it's not just, it's not just get over this piece, but it's going to be ongoing. How do we manage that? So I think they need to invest in that. It's quite interesting because that very much comes from a New Zealand model. So Jacinda introduced that a well-being budget for New Zealand, putting mental health and emotional well-being at the heart of every citizen's um, life. This was pre-COVID. And as you know, she's a kind of world leader again in relation to, to COVID. So she's out there running some good policies coming from New Zealand, which other parts of the world want to copy, which is a fine, fine thing. I kind of sit here from a British perspective, me coming from uh, Little Britain or what feels like Little Britain, particularly as we're still on track with Brexit, the whole Brexit agenda. Yesterday you had Piri Patel announcing that they've ended free movement, well she's only ended it for British citizens, so British citizens can no longer have free movement across Europe. Right. So it's not Europeans coming to Britain? It's both. Oh, okay. It's both. So she's taking away our rights for free movement. Oh, I see, yeah. When is that coming into effect, Damien? Um, well, it's still going through Parliament. So they oh, yeah, yeah. gone through the first stage. It does have to go through the House of Lords. And what is, is particularly nasty is that, you know, when you think of the people, you know, Boris Johnson was in hospital, in St. Thomas's Hospital, he was nursed by a Filipino nurse who was only here because of freedom of movement. Many people who have been nursed in this horrendous tragedy have been nursed by people who have had free movement across Europe. And so she hails this as a great success and something that Britain wanted when people, I very much feel that people were duped. So I know it's been a bit of a cause for celebration for Ireland today in terms of eradicating a lot of coronavirus from everyday community and it's left in specific parts which there can be more controls over so such as nursing homes but looking from a British perspective hopes and dreams seem a bit more further away so yeah so just to, to recap there one of the issues which is really going on uh, in the media lots of debates happening in terms of schools being reopened for the 1st of June government want that to happen and they're making a plea that it's in the interest of the child. Uh, so they're talking about children who are vulnerable, who need to be in school, which we all know children will benefit from education. But at the same time, there's lots of key themes coming up. People saying, what is the evidence in terms of our children safe? Are adults, are teachers gonna get the virus? Is it gonna be transmitted more within the community? You know, there's evidence that that can happen. That, you know, even the government is saying tonight, you know, they won't be able to mark schoolwork books because of fears of coronavirus. You know, children will be able to bring in a pack lunch, but not be able to bring in a pencil case because even a pencil case could have elements of the, uh, the virus on the, the pencil case. So it just demonstrates a whole level of complexity going on in relation to this. So you have schools as an issue. You have social care where a quarter of our deaths have happened within social care. Yeah, second, yeah. It's a huge, huge, huge shocking uh, event. And the politicians are really trying to cover themselves by saying they put a ring of steel around it. And, and the evidence coming from those nursing homes is that no, absolutely they did not. Residents were sent back from the hospitals with COVID-19 
without any kind of information for the home and it's gone rife through nursing homes. You have staff who work in, in various nursing homes going from one nursing home to another and carrying that within Asia, they don't allow staff to work in more than one nursing home at a time. But again, it's, it's stuff of low paid, so people need to be able to earn their livelihood. So again, that is up for areas of change, how we move and progress with social care, how we look at things such as education, and you know, the overburden in terms of education about exam results, letting that go and letting children have a more holistic education, which is centered around the child. We need that. We need to be able to build resilience more than ever after this uh, pandemic. We need people to understand what resilience is, how they can bounce forward within life if they've been knocked. You know, I've listened to a few graduation speeches by the likes of Obama, various other celebrities in America who've done graduation speeches this week. And some of them have been really positive, very uplifting, where they talk about resilience. You know, there's so many barriers will come in the way of your life and you have to find the tenacity to be able to overcome them and move on to the next challenge, knowing that each time you'll have a renewed strength and new skill set to be able to navigate through the next challenges in life. Some of the is, I haven't talked exclusively about hopes and dreams. I've given a bit of an update of what is going on in Britain, the whole complexity and how we can get stuck in a negative cycle, but also very much in terms of where we need to move forwards in terms of building our resilience to move us out of it. In terms of hopes and dreams, has this crisis reaffirmed the NHS uh, its position in society, you know, people did fear through the Conservative Party uh, when they did take power underneath David Cameron, for example, that slowly it'd be whittled away. And it has been, you know, the budget has been shortened. You know, it's been under staff, under resource for such a long time, especially post-financial crisis 2008, where they've just been chopping away and pretending they're still putting in more money when really they're just reinvesting the money that was already there, fudging the statistics, you could say. Do you think now that... British society has really held on to that and that will can only get stronger. Like, is it likely that it will be invested heavily after this? Do people see absolute value for money these days? Or is it just high at the moment? Well, I, I think I was listening to some of the politicians speak today and particularly in relation to how well Asian, some of the Asian countries have handled this compared to the United Kingdom. And one of the areas of strength for them was because they were so affected by the SARS virus mm -hmm. out in Asia several years back, there was a fair bit of investment around coronaviruses and around SARS. So they've always had it on their radar that should a, should a pandemic, a coronavirus pandemic occur, that they are ready. And that, that's, that's demonstrated within the likes of South Korea, uh, within uh, Vietnam and various countries, which have had a very low death rate. Hong Kong, I don't think, had any death rates of COVID deaths because they've been ready, they've been prepared, because they understood the impact of SARS virus. Now, if you translate that to the West and to Europe, you would hope that, particularly within the United Kingdom, that people are going to sit up and, and know that they need to, to be mindful of the NHS, the vulnerability of the NHS, 
to ensure that they invest in it so that in the, the uh, potential likelihood of second or third wave of coronavirus or some other pandemic, that the NHS will be there and will be resilient enough to be able to respond to the needs of what's happening within society. So these are, you think, so So based on what you're saying and based on what Alan was talking about earlier, I see these as the big shift towards these public services in which we're being kind of trampled a bit on, you know, completely trampled on in the last decade or so in terms of austerity cuts, are now being absolutely valued during the crisis. The positive could be that will continue post-crisis, that these will become cornerstones of society, especially in healthcare and community care, mental care, and everything, every type of care, daycare, home care, nursing care, you know, these things might be resourced to a higher standard. You know, I heard people say it's, it's a fairly right-wing conservative government, and yet they're acting very much from a socialist perspective at the moment, the way they're investing in ensuring that people are not, you know, people are furloughed. You could also look at that and say, well, it's about protection of the economy, because if everybody's job goes, then the economy is not going to kickstart. So is it about socialism? Is it about protecting the interests of, of capitalists? I don't know. We, we know that there's going to be a recession. It's probably going to be a very deep recession. People are going to hope for a fairly quick bounce back. Whether or not that's going to happen, I think psychologically, people are really scarred by this virus, particularly in England. There's been too many deaths happened within communities and whereby people will not come out of the home. So people have literally been hunkered down within their homes for like eight weeks will not even come to the door, will not let the children out into the garden. So whether or not we're going to get them into school. And of course, when to turn back a recession, you need people to be spending money. Mm. Are people going to be going out spending money? Because I think they're, they're possibly potentially too afraid. You know, the impact has been so, so deep and entrenched in Britain in terms of the amount of deaths. Is that going to happen? It is about, like you said, it is about left-wing left wing ideals or ideas is what brought together a, a response in terms of resource and the social services. But then the, res the response and resources are to preserve the capitalist side of things. You know, whatever you want to think about those two issues is probably for another podcast. But like if you, if you go personally then, Damien or Josh or Alan or Pat, what are your own personal hopes and dreams post this? Like, what do you think could be some of the great, some of the great good stuff that we could really take from this whole thing? I think the one thing I think that we should all take from this is just to learn to slow down. And by that, I mean, I think a lot of people, or before the COVID, and we were all shut down, not everybody was living so, such a fast lifestyle. I think now it's quite nice because everybody's taking the time to really slow down and take time for themselves and so on. So like, my hopes would be that everybody has learned that constantly working, being so stressed at work, all that stuff is not important. It's important to slow down and enjoy your time. Like, it's funny when you see it, because you see it all over Facebook and you see it all over social media, Instagram, everywhere. And it's, it's everybody saying, oh, the earth is healing itself because everybody else has slowed down. And it's true. And it's not just the earth that's healing itself. Every single person is healing themselves. I hope that everybody comes out of this with a new perspective um, and a new view on how we run things. Like I was, used to be extremely stressed. I was a very stressful person before I went into all of this. And I'm going to come out now and realize that 
the stuff that used to stress me out, I won't ever, ever let it stress me out again. So my hope is that people do get a chance to reevaluate it and to be so grateful for those moments of peace and those moments of quiet where you just embrace the art of doing nothing. Yeah, I, I have to say I agree with Josh. I think I want to see after this that society doesn't go back to the level of mania uh, that we had before. I would love to see, now that people have learned to work at home, I'd love to see many more people spending some of their week at home. Not necessarily all of it, but some of their week at home. I don't want to go back to seeing crowded Lewises and crowded buses and you know, an hour and a half to get into town in your car, all that sort of stuff. I would hate to go back to all of that. So I really would like that for us as a society. And also too, there's been a lot of kindness and a lot more openness in society where people will talk to each other and stuff like that, which I would like to see continue. That um, when we've all been locked down, people have been a lot more friendly, a lot more open to talking to, just chatting to people, passing by their gardens or in the street. And uh, I think it was good for us as a society. And it's something we were, you know, uh, renowned for as Irish people years ago, uh, are the friendliness of our society. And that we have lost to a large extent, and I would love to see that coming back. And maybe might, this might be an urban versus rural thing, you know. Maybe the rural Ireland hasn't lost that as much as urban Ireland. But I really felt as if urban Ireland has lost it quite a bit, and I would like to see that coming back. I agree with Pat, what you just said. And it's actually, it's very funny because I, I'm, I'm sure everybody has, but even now I find if I'm just going for a walk or walking to the shop or whatever it is, every single person I meet will give you a smile or will just give you a nod. I think that's so lovely. So it's to pick up on what you just said there, Pat. I think that's something as well that we should realise is, is, is to get back to being neighbours and being friendly and just being well welcoming, which is what the Irish are known for. You don't say a caveman apology for nothing. Yeah, there was whole. There was, there was, we had such a long period of time about the individual, didn't we? Like, it was just all about me, me, me. My house, my car, my job, my wage, all about me, me, me. We did lose that sense of community or, you know, communal interaction. I, you know, it's great that it's coming back and hopefully it sustains. You know, hopefully people don't say, okay, that's it. Everything's back to normal. Back to, back to the way I go to, you know, fighting for myself and looking after myself and caring for myself, which is fine. Absolutely. But, you know, you've got to have that broader care, the broader view of things. If we struggle together, we heal together. It's, it's better off for everybody, really. I do think there will be a lot of positives. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm seeing positives today. You know, the numbers in Ireland have gone down. People are seem a bit happier. More people are out and about. The sun is out. Obviously, the sun makes every day happy. It's great, and people do look better. People are some people are back to work. I've seen, and they look fine. You know, they may find it difficult at the start. You know, being out of work for such a long time, but you can see there is a sense of happiness in them that they're just they have the choice to do it or they could choose to go out and enjoy themselves. And it's great. And there's a better atmosphere I found today in myself on my way to work. And I just hope that sustains as well, not only during the crisis right now, but also in the aftermath of it all. I don't want people to rush to the pub to get a pint. You know, it's not going to be the healthiest way to kind of get ourselves back to it all. Although it'd be wonderful to sit down and chat to everybody in person, um, which I think we're all really, really missing at the moment. Yeah, I think to people, um, you know, with the figures that were out today, you know, people feel, well, all the effort as we've, we're seeing results from all of our effort uh, and maybe the government can speed up you know uh, easing restrictions based on on the positive numbers but we'll have to wait and see for that yeah 
Yeah. You know, I, I think I agree. Like I was saying to my sister today in the car on the way down to Woody's and I was like, it's just nice to see things. Like I know we all we still go through the phases and all, but it's, it's nice to slowly see things starting to come back. And it's even funnier as well, just touching on the friendship and all. I, when I was in Woody's today, there was a group of lads behind me. Um, I think it was about three of them. And they were just laughing and joking. And we were chatting between ourselves as well. And they were saying that they were building a bar for their back garden so that they could still have their social distance and drinks with their friends when this is all over. And I thought that was lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just goes to show like how something as bad as this can bring so many people together because it's true what they say. We're, we're all going through the same storm. We might not all be in the same boat, but we're all going through it together. And I think as a human race in general, we will all come out, I hope anyway, better people and more grateful people. So the people that we meet, like even I've seen a podcast like this, or your Zoom quizzes or FaceTiming, like I've even heard the royal family say it, that they're speaking with more of their family now than they did before because you want to check in on everybody to make sure everybody is okay. And I think that's a lovely, I think we should carry that going forward as well. I, w- I would just wonder on that, um, and I agree, I would, think, I, would, I would hope that all those things you've said would, would carry on. But I mean, how do we carry that stuff on? Is, is that stuff that kind of get, just gets ingrained in us and when we come out of this that we'll just do it naturally? Or is that something that we all need to intentionally decide to do? You know, um, or, well, I, I, t- sorry, just about the bigger picture we were talking at the beginning, we were talking about like, in terms of what sort of government we want, the structures we want, but also bringing it right back down to, you're saying there, Josh, do we build bars in our background or in our back garden so we can socialize and do whatever? Not necessarily that, but are there things that we do? What do we do to keep that alive? And is that something we work at? Or do you think that's something that's just going to be in us and we'll just keep it? Well, I think, I think, I think it's, I think now it's a realization and tomorrow it's an action. It's an intention. So we realize that today as in the couple of weeks that have gone, that this is what is better for us going forward. But then we must then make sure that's an action in the future. Like we have to intentionally do that. We can't just say, nobody rushed to the pub and then here we are, day one, all in the pub. <laughs> you know, as much as you probably want to, to get to that atmosphere where you're all just kind of in the same environment, you know, it's fun and laughs and whatever else. But you can also have to realize that we can do that in the park. You know, we don't have to have beers all the time. It doesn't have to be in that type of setting. It doesn't have to be underneath, underneath, under these sort of conditions. Like that would be my thing. I'm a very practical-based person. Um, as much as I love talking about huge, big ideas, overarching ideas, I always just love to say, but what's that practically mean, though? So it is about saying, oh, well, I mean, I don't have to go to the pub every time. Every Friday, I can go to the park. And then it's about saying, make sure I go to the park now when I can. Otherwise, what's the point of all of this moment? It's just space where I have time to think and make these realizations. I think it is as simple as that in practice. I think we just got to do it. We've got to make that shift. But I, it's got to be fundamental, though. But I actually, the only, the only thing I pick up on as well is I think the era of pubs is, is not that it's over. I can see a huge rise now in house parties, in gatherings of people in the houses, because in a house, if you have your friends over, you're not, not necessarily worried about social distancing. But if you're going out on a night out, the pubs enforce it. And I know that doesn't, like, it. it might not necessarily go with the whole keeping the six feet or the two meters or whatever, but I think it will be an era of house parties and get-togethers and barbecues and all that, especially now as people are so accustomed to drinking at home. It's cheaper, 
you can watch music, listen to whatever type of music you want and all. Like I'm sure you guys as well would probably agree that sometimes you can have the best laughs when you're in the comfort of your own home with your friends as opposed to being queuing to get into a place in the night out and then having to keep your distance and this, that and the other like. Yeah. Personally, I'd like to see a shift away from alcohol. I'd like to see society shift away from alcohol. I think there's huge dependence on it. Um, for that's big dreams, Johnny. Yeah, I know, I know. But like, you just like I don't drink a lot. I, I, you know, when I go on on the weekend, I used to drink a few beers. And I think the last couple of months, even when I went away on holiday, I didn't drink that often. I just, you know, it's a realization. I actually can have the exact same experience without alcohol. I don't think it's a problem having a drink that has alcohol in it, but I think there's just a huge dependency on for socializing, for having fun and this sense of happiness while being drunk at the same time and yet the next day forgetting some of it. Like personally, I'd love to see a shift away from it, but I do think that moving it to the home is, is worse. I think you'll probably see a rise in domestic violence. Um, you'll probably see lack of support for children growing up in terms of homework in the evenings after school. The parents wouldn't probably have the capacity to do this home drinking and also try offer that support, which parents are, you know, should offer. Um, I'd be very worried about that. I think there's a lot of small details that would really go amiss there that we just forget about that you wouldn't even notice stuff like that you know where kids are struggling with studies and stuff and you'd be like oh that's fine we, you know you can skip for today but not realizing actually it's quite fundamental mm-hmm. to our education development well that's, oh, no. that's that. no i was just going to say when i said the drinking at home i meant at the weekends i i don't like i'm drinking i'm having a, a gin tonight while i'm doing this which is well earned after today I, i'm not an advocate of drinking every single night either I just mean in general, like for catch-ups with your friend, yes, a barbecue or something over a drink. But I agree I, with what you're saying. I, um, I think what you're all kind of talking about, rather than just talking about one specific thing, is about finding a more meaningful way of life and more meaningful existence and more meaningful ways in which you engage with people. And that might take you away from like what we once knew as, as like recreation areas, whether they be public, you know, pubs or whatever they were, to a different, very more meaningful way of life. I think that that's what, uh, for hopes and dreams, Yeah. I think more people, I would like to hope that more people will be in contact with a more meaningful life and have that real desire to have a go at living a more authentic life. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I think that is the bones of it really, isn't it? It's just finding meaning in things rather than relying on something for meaning. Mm-hmm.